But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts, and that's what we hope our podcast become for people, is an opportunity to, to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock stars, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. Welcome back, everyone, to the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm thrilled on this first day of 2022 to be joined by my guy, Loki V. Law III. Will, what's good? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, and Happy New Year to all our listeners, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'll say that. I'm excited, and I'm going to steal your phrase, everything's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, and it's, um, you know, we're both on that point where we got a couple days left of the holiday break, which feels like it's um, flew by, it especially flew by for you. You were um, out of commission there for a, a good solid week, but... Actually, more than that, man, it was... It, it was it was over a week. Um, um, for those who don't know, I, w- I struggled with with COVID. I uh, contracted COVID, and um, it was it was a rough toe for for a while. Um, but again, it like I said, I'm here. I'm thankful. I'm still in that recovery phase, and I I would hear people say that all the time when they would get COVID. You know, I'm still trying to recover, and it's the it's the it's the the windiness, windiness that you get, the, you know, even the fatigue, you know, from just doing things around the house, you know, um, and doing things that, that you normally would do that wouldn't take a lot from you. It, it has. And so, um, but again, like I say, man, I'm not thankful that I didn't end up like a lot of people um, in hospitals on ventilators and in situations where uh, my life was in that much of a jeopardy, but um, I'm just grateful, man, and thankful uh, that I'm still here and that I'm, I can keep doing what I do. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it was, um, you know, it, it, it is worrisome. I, you know, you are not the first person that I'm real close to that has had it, but thankfully no one that I'm close to, including you. I mean, I talked to you throughout it. I mean, we didn't talk, but I was kind of messaging with you every day and you seem to have got it just about as bad as anyone I know. Um, but yeah, we're just thankful that you're good and you know, that your wife didn't get it and your daughter didn't get it. and You didn't transfer it to your in-laws or anything like that. So it did, it did make for a very, um, uh, different type of Christmas. Cause again, to to kind of have Christmas come and go, and I think I slept most of the day on Christmas. Um, I don't. I still was not eat. I was still not eating. Was not eating fully. I had some broth, um, <clears throat> but it, it 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 allowed me an opportunity to really rejuvenate my my my, my body, my mind, and my spirit. Um, which is what you really want from a vacation. Uh, so, you know, I told my wife, I said, I guess God really knew what I needed more than I did. He knew that I needed rest. And you know me, I'm always thinking and I'm always going. And for the first time in a long time, for those eight or nine days that I was down on my back, I didn't do a whole lot of thinking. I did a lot of reflecting, but it wasn't a lot of forward thinking. It was just reflecting on my position on that. And to be able to do that, I didn't want to talk to anybody because it was hard to have a conversation because after a while, even just talking, you start getting wind. 
um, you know, and yeah, so like I said, man, I'm, I'm just excited to be able to be back amongst everybody else. And, you know, when I was able to come out of the lair and actually walk around my house, my dogs were thankful because they were happy to see uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, like I say, you know, my wife and I, we did our gift exchange um, like on the 28th, the 29th of December. I mean, my daughter still hadn't opened up her gifts for much because she's been gone with her mom and her grandmother. So she'll have some nice gifts when she comes back here in January to open up too. So, but you know, like uh, someone put in perspective with me, it's like, you're not losing a, a, a Christmas. Um, you potentially gain more time for a loved one that you didn't pass this disease onto, this virus onto, who could not fight it as well. Yeah. So. I hear you. All right. So this podcast, as we try to do, which I mean, I felt like this year maybe better than most years. I've been just reflective in my own you know, existence in my own sphere. And I, you know, when you were talking about not forward thinking as I, as I got into winter break, I was like, all right, I got to just hammer. Like I got to just put the pedal down and I got to do as much as I can get done. But I really spent a lot of time, um, you know, kind of rebuilding, um, where we're at, what I want to be doing, what the next steps are for me and, and trying to game plan that stuff out. Cause I, you know, it's, it's a new year and you know, there, there are things coming up that we're working on that will hopefully open up new opportunities. And, you know, there are also other times where new opportunities just come to us. So I, I feel like I've been very reflective during this time and when you said, you know, it's it's okay to reflect, but not necessarily just be feeling like you got to move forward, that like really spoke to me. So, yeah, why don't you lead this uh, conversation on reflection? Well, you know, thinking about 2021, you know, we, everybody just knew that it would be different than 2020. Um, and so I guess one of the major questions um, that... Um, that just kind of kept me going and kept me thinking about it is what did we learn in 2021? What do we learn in 2021? Um, you know, how did we, uh, what did we learn and how did that inform our teaching and our relationships with our students? Um, and I know for me, um, I learned a lot, like it was, I would probably say, man, it, this year, <laughs> this past year was probably one of the, no, this may not sound right, most learned year that I've experienced uh, <laughs> as an educator, you know, to push. Um, there were so many challenges that, that presented itself that allowed me to um, dig deeper into who I am and what I believe and to help me try to inform my practice. So how about yourself? What did you learn in 2021? What did I mean, it teach you? The, the basics of what I would learn is, you know, the first thing, and we can kind of dive into these, but I'm going to say the three and then hopefully we can kind of work back. Like obviously in-person is a far superior method for most kids to the virtual. That's not to say that some kids didn't thrive in virtual, but um, myself included the in-person matters. Um, the relationship piece and and how just crucial and important that is to our success as teachers. But I, I think the number one thing I learned over 2021 is um, you know, that you can't you can't do everything. Like that word prioritization, I think really came into focus for me over the last calendar year um, in regards to being on campus. You know, we, I was off for most of last school year until March, you know, so I spent March, April and May in the classroom 
and, you know, coming back, you're trying to do all of these things and you just can't do them all. And, you know, when it comes to that relationship piece, when it comes to, um, you know, what our kids need, you know, we, we came back and we were asking ourselves, like, what do our kids need? And for me, it was all about the relationship piece. It's all about the, the social, helping them get comfortable being back on campus. And, and for me, even just this year, I've had to like, you know, prioritizing my content, like how much content can we really dive into? Like how hard can you push these kids? Um, how much space do we need to give? I mean, cause in the midst, especially where we lived in the midst of this pandemic happening, you had all of this social change. So now there's all these different new social dynamics. So for me, I learned that I need to prioritize. I'm not great at it yet. But I think the number one thing that I, I would say I've learned is that I can't do everything. And the challenge for 2022 when it comes to that is being okay with that. Being okay with, with saying, like, I can't, I can't do all of these things. I'm just not going to be able to. So, I, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at to start on what I learned. You know, you talked about the in-person versus virtual. And I think that, that it goes for both teachers and students. Um, I, I'm definitely more, um, I remember when we first started virtual learning, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. You know, I get to zoom in with the kids. I get to do Google Meets. You know, our, our kids are watching videos with me. But then when you started seeing the level of engagement drop, the zeal, you lose that zeal to, to keep up with the uh, with what you're doing because as excited as I was to do virtual learning and to offer that component to be able to connect with my students, that the the... The, the shiny, the new shininess of it wore off real fast. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, you know, it turned into a situation where it's like, you know, you, you, you get in and there's one kid with their camera on. They get uncomfortable. They turn their camera off. You know, then I ask kids, give me, make your profile picture something that will let me know it's you and remind me of, you know, of something about your character. So at least I'm teaching to something that I can connect to uh, some kind of way and not just a blank screen or, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I'm definitely more in tune with the input. However, I believe virtual learning has its place, but it's not for every student. You know, I, I looked at, you know, I really wish, and maybe it's happening in conversations that I'm not a part of, that people would start talking about things like the four-day school week, mm. where Friday's an at-home day where you get to catch up on the stuff you're doing. Or, you know, doing more of a, you know, traditional college where you have one day where you're doing this and then you have a day to work on it and then you come back. It, I wish that people would start to chant, you know, to challenge the convention of what our system is like, so like, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, Tuesday, Thursday classes. Yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. Huh. And just to be able, I mean, cause really, even if it were just like, um, you know, Monday through through Thursday, regular day and a Friday half day. And you did that consistently and get, gave teachers that extra three hours in the afternoon or gave kids that extra day or whatever it might be. I, I think it would really, I mean, I think some of those things are the things that would really change the atmosphere around it. And the thing that I want to come back to when it, when it comes to that second piece that I said was relationships. You and I were talking about this the other day 
um, just in a conversation, but we're like, you know, my eighth graders really in reality are more like fifth graders Mm -hmm. socially and emotionally, because that's the last time they've had a full school year. Like at my, at the school, I've been at the school, I've been at three years, never did a full school. I have yet to do a full school year there in person. Wow. Okay. You know, so in, in learning, how do you think that perspective change of understanding that your kids what we've got to know is, is an eighth grader or a sixth grader or a seventh grader, you know, that there was that initial surprise, like, why are we dealing with it? Like, this is like some childish stuff. Like, why are we dealing with this childish nonsense? But then having to learn and understand that these kids have missed that social, especially with my eighth graders, you know, they went from sixth graders most of their year in person, you know, a bunch of them didn't come on campus at all last year. They didn't get that middle year where they weren't the lowest on the totem pole, but they weren't the highest. They, you know, they didn't have that year of having their behavior redirected and understanding expectations mm-hmm. and trying to learn and figure out how do you, how do you hold a kid that you know is really a fifth grader or a sixth grader? you know, in reality to an eighth grade standard. How do you, you know, how we, do you, you know, we touched on that um, yesterday. Um, <clears throat> when we talked about what is our situation, uh, which is one of the questions that we, we talked, you know, like I said, we talked about yesterday, um, not yesterday, day before. Um, and when you think about it, think about how much it helps you understanding how to redirect that eighth grader who is socially fifth grader, academically potentially a fourth or third grader, and emotionally a second grader. You know what I mean? Like having that knowledge, you know, when we talk about GI Joe, knowing is half the battle, having that information forces us to now deal with things differently than we have. I feel like Teachers who've had the experience of a broad spectrum of teaching from elementary through middle school have an event right now because they they see the behaviors and seeing them in their correct age appropriateness. So to redirect them now, even though in your mind you're like, I shouldn't have to say this to a seventh grader, I shouldn't have to say this to an eighth grader. But you got to realize that these kids are are not there. And this is not something, and teachers, please don't go back to your classrooms and use this as a weapon to be like, you're you're technically a grader sitting in my classroom. And you know, that's why it's so hard for me to do this. That that's not that's not what we, we're saying that you need to do. But what needs to happen is there needs to be a conversation with your students so that they can understand developmentally where they're lacking and how they're supposed to conduct themselves. Because Think about any culture. You go to a place, you'll learn real quick when you go to certain places. Okay, you don't clap after every every scene when you go to an opera. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember the first time I went to an opera, I, I wanted to clap because I felt good. And I was like, yeah. But then I looked around and I said, nobody else clapped. So in my mind, it clicked. Okay, that's not what we do here. That's a cultural thing. That's a cultural thing. So building a culture to the point to where the kids understand that this is what this classroom is going to be built on and this is how we're going to operate, it helps them overcome these social, academic, and emotional deficits a lot faster versus you just, you know, throwing up the towel, which so many of our educators have, throwing up the towel and just saying, you know what, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, and it's unfortunate that there are so many of us, so, so many educators who who are leaving after this year, you know, who are done because they feel like this is the hardest year that they've had to teach. And the level of disrespect, the level of, uh, of, of, of zero affect to students, you know, who, 
don't understand redirection, who does not understand um, the, the mechanism of education and they don't value it. So it puts you in, in, a, in an odd place. And like I say, I've heard so many educators saying, this is my last year. I'm done after this year. And I keep telling them, I said it after the first pandemic, this is not the time to leave. You know, um, this is not the time to leave. It's going to change. It's going to shift back. Students are going to come back to us. You know, they're going to get this age appropriateness down. And to leave now just because it's rough in the waters, it, it's, it, it kind of perpetuates the problem that we already have. I mean, we already have a teacher shortage in the country. You know, and the more teachers leave, the wider that gap gets. Well, and and I think you and I had this conversation a while back too, because we're going through a lot of the same things. Like, and the word you brought up is there's no empathy from these kids. They don't have any. I shouldn't say any. I don't want to talk in generalizations, but so many of them are just unaware of the fact that their actions impact other people. So many of them are, you know, and I know that's a middle school behavior, you know, leading up to it too, to try to pretend like what they did didn't have an impact on anybody or, well, I was just doing this or I was just saying that or whatever it might be. But there, there seems to be more of that lack of understanding like that. I did this thing. It had this impact on my classmates or it had this impact on my teacher. And I'm responsible for that. And and that has been really, really challenging because I, I've told you this story and I don't know if I told it on the podcast, but, you know, shortly before break, having a conversation, um, you know, with my kids kind of a reflective on the first part of the year. And one of my students was like, well, I don't get these teachers who come in and complain about student behavior. Like you knew when you got into this profession that you were dealing with kids. And if you can't handle their behavior, then you should just go find a different job. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I know you just didn't F and say that. Like, I know you're not going to say that right here. And I, I, I sort of stopped. And I paused and I sort of like just shook my head and tried to like contemplate that before I said anything back to the kid. But what I really wanted to say after I thought about it was like, anytime anybody says anything to you that you don't like, you throw a fit and you talk about how all these people are against you and how all of these people are out to get you and there's prejudice and there's this and there's that, but you come in and you act crazy and you say wild stuff and you do whatever you want and just expect that a teacher should put up with it. And I wanted to be like, where is, where is the accountability there? You know, cause well, you know, it goes, it, yeah, I'm going to say this. It goes back to home training. Ouch. I, I, my bad parents. Um, but that's where it starts. It starts at home. The very first teacher any student has is their parents. And so what they choose to accept, allow, encourage, is what our students display when they come to the classroom. Is that simple? Um, and so often as educators, our job has been to kind of be surrogate parents, but now we have so many students, a huge population, you know, more than half our seventh graders, more than half our eighth graders, almost half of our sixth graders who have not been in school since March of, what was that 2019? 2020. 2020. So they have not been in school since then. You talk about a summer slide academically, 
and the behaviors you deal with in August because kids had not been in the structure and confounds of school since May or June. So you're saying from May to August, that was a slide. So what about from March? Fast forward a year and a half. You know, I have some great students who tell me, Mr. I'll be honest, I didn't do anything online. I so, passed. They pa I passed, Mr. Law, but I didn't do anything. And my question to them now is, how did that help you now that you're struggling in reading, you're struggling in math, and these are all subjects that you were great in when you were in third grade. But because you dropped, you not see dropped out, but because a year fell off in March in fourth grade for you, you didn't take it seriously in fifth grade, and now you're sitting in sixth grade and you're struggling when you shouldn't be. So it's a matter of bringing that back to their remembrance and helping them because again, my dad used to always say, you can't teach anybody to be responsible without giving them something to be responsible for. You can't accountability without first giving students the expectations that they're going to be held accountable to. And so the consistent reiteration of those expectations is where as teachers in, in the middle grades, usually I tell people after October, my classroom can go on autopilot because it takes me from about August to October to really build a relationship with my students, to connect the students to the culture of the classroom, to help build that type of culture that kids want to be a part of and want to do this. I, I'm not there yet. You know, I told my teachers before we left, I say, I'll probably get there by February. You know, but again, delayed does not mean denial. <laughs> you know, just because it's delayed doesn't mean the kids won't get there. Just because they're not doing it, you know, one of the big things that I do at the beginning of the year is I have my kids sign a poster that says the power of yet. So we teach on that growth mindset. And once we teach on it, I tell the kids, so anybody who wants to subscribe to this, I want you to come and sign the poster and we're going to put it up so that when we have those moments of doubting ourselves, we have those moments where we fail, we can look up and just say, we're not there yet. But that yet means that there's something that I need to do to get myself over it. And so I think that that's where we have to be with our students is that consistent realization of the expectations that we have set for them. Because again, they have not had it. They have not had it. And we can't expect kids, like we always say, that having a undeveloped prefrontal cortex to be able to sit in the classroom and do and act and respond, that's on a normal day. You know what I'm saying? That's in a normal scheme of things. That's not saying this situation that we talked about, our current situation where the kids are developmentally delayed in so many areas that keeps them from, um, you know, being who they really should be at this time. Yeah. But think about that. Think about the conversation we're having right now and how much it is to unpack in all the stuff that we do. Like one conversation can clearly to another conversation, leads to another conversation. And it's this never ending spiral. But you have to pay attention to all of these lessons we learned. But I, here's a question that I want to ask you. Think back to 2020 and ask yourself, how did 2020 prepare you for what you saw in 2021? I know it's, it's going back further than most people like to, oh, I only reflect on the year before. But 2020 was one of those pivotal years for us. Yeah. You know, that was the that was the emergence of virtual learning. <laughs> you know, and all of these things that teachers were not used to. So we should have learned so much in 2020. You know, I I come back just on that question. You know, you and I both were in that spot when we went to virtual. We we're like, we freaking got this, bro. This is going to be like, I'm going to make this off the chain. It's going to be better than what I've been doing. Because we had that assumption that digital native meant digital learner. And it doesn't. Like having the ability to learn on 
a digital platform or to use a digital platform like TikTok or Instagram or whatever it uh, is, Fortnite, any of these digital platforms does not mean you can be a digital learner. Because being a learner is the choice to learn. So when we went to virtual, it wasn't about whether the kids could handle the digital platform. It was about whether they could prioritize themselves. It was about whether they could self-motivate. It was about whether or not they could be self-accountable. And, you know, we had that misconception. And I think it 2020 really, really taught me that, you know, when you're in person with kids, they have this guard up. They, they want, you know, the kids and, you know, coming back this year, you see the posturing and the kids doing goofy stuff and the kids trying to impress their friends and the kids trying to do all these different things. But in 2020, when a kid was at home on their own screen, especially a screen that they could black out, like you said, it was hard to see who they were. It was hard to um, really get a chance to, to know the kids and to reach and to grab the kids that are challenging. You know, you learn that you just can't assume. I, I think 2020 got rid of all my assumptions about what was important in teaching because that relational piece is so important. And I remember, you know, in this, you know, end of the 2020 school year into the 2020, 21, how many times I got calls from parents or emails from parents about things that I was teaching because they were watching over their kid's shoulder. But I come back and I'm in person the end of last year and this year, I've not had one parent contact me about anything we've done in class. Because the kids know me Mm -hmm. and they trust that I'm doing, you know, the things that I need to, or not, not even that they like trust that I'm from a genuine spot and I'm in a position where I can explain like, okay, kids, we're talking about world religions. Mm -hmm. I am not advocating or condemning any particular religion of any kind. We are discussing how religions fit into a society and its structure. Why do people choose to be a part of a particular religion? What role does religion play? And you can reiterate that. When it comes to that political spectrum, I'm not seeing, you know, we talked about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I'm not saying one way or another that this was right or this was wrong. I'm not trying to make it blue or red. But how did we get to this point where after 20 years of being in the country, we have such, you know, we, we leave and, you know, blah, 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 whatever happens. However, um, however you would say it to really be fair and equal and be, you know, the unbiased person that gives the kids the chance to share their opinion. I I think 2020 taught me to let go of all assumptions that I have about how a classroom should work, but it also really on a personal level reminded me and, and you reminded me of this and a couple other people that I listened to, like it's okay for me when kids ask me my opinion, it'd be like, you know, this isn't the right time for my opinion. I want to hear your opinion. I'm here to help you all discuss and, and do those things. And, and when, when you take yourself out and you really don't make your opinion known, when you say things or you give content or you're explaining things, kids don't see it as something that's cited. They don't see me as perpetuating a liberal agenda or a conservative agenda or an anti this agenda. They trust that I'm, I'm giving them factual information. And I think 2020 taught me that that's the most important thing that I can be. 
And in order to really let, to have kids feel like you are giving them factual information, you have to do everything you can to keep your opinion out of everything content related. I think that's, that was a long winded say, way to say what I learned in 2020. No, but it's, but what, but that's, that's, that's valid, valid. Because when I think about how did, how do I feel 2020 prepared me for what I saw in 2021? Number one thing for me, 2020 prepared me and showed me that relationships are paramount. Uh, the students that I had the best relationship with virtually, I had the best relationship when we came back face to face. So relationships still remain paramount, whether you were virtual or you were face to face. The next thing that it taught me is you have to innovate your curriculum. Meaning that not so much that you got to come up with new math or new science, but your delivery methods have to be different. What are you doing to engage the kids before the lesson even takes place? You know, you know, as, as an MC, uh, one of the most important parts of a song is the hook. Because if you get the hook right, it doesn't matter what you say in your verses because everybody is going to be engaged in the hook. You know, Lil John. Yeah, let's go. It doesn't matter what he, he says after that. Once you hear that, that was a time in the 90s, early 2000s. As soon as you heard that, it didn't matter what came next. You Everybody was moving to the dance floor. You, 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 you felt that energy. And so what are you doing, teachers, to innovate the curriculum, your delivery style of the curriculum? How are you doing? What are you doing to, to connect the students, to bring them into this world of what you're teaching? And I really do like what you said about how to keep your opinion out of it, especially teaching history. Because if I can just show you, this is what the book says. Tell me what's your thoughts on this. Because so often students are being told what to think. They're told what to believe. They're not being asked, what do you feel about this? How would you respond in this situation if you were sitting at the Congressional Congress? You know, if you were sitting at at, at, at at the signing of the Declaration of Independence or you had, what would you include different? Forcing them to look at from their perspective of what they know and how would they employ their now knowledge into decisions and things that have been made, that's innovation. That's not me saying, well, you know, the forefathers who didn't do this, they didn't do this, they they were just doing this, they didn't think about this the right way. Well, by whose standards? And this is the generation of kids who will challenge that when you try to present opinion as facts. You know, it was a generation before that you could you could teach hearsay and students would buy into it. This is not the generation of kids to do that. So you've got to innovate how you deliver the curriculum. The next thing 2020 did to prepare me for 2021, it helped me eliminate my excuses. I couldn't make excuses about what couldn't be done. I couldn't make excuses about what kid couldn't, kids couldn't do because I saw so many kids do. So it helped me eliminate the excuses that I make. And the last thing 2020 did to get me ready for 2021, is to believe that I can. All of the, the pandemic, the social justice issues, all the things that plagued the election, that plagued that 2020 year, forced me to say to myself, you got this. Believe you can. Believe you can. And so when I look at, I always like to try to find where I'm at, where I've been and how what I learned from where I've been connects to where I'm at now. Because that's that's reflecting. I don't want it to be an idle reflection where I'm just sitting here saying, yeah, you know, it was all right, the kids. No, I want to be specific. I failed at this. I I failed building relationships with some of my some of my young African American boys. I, I failed. Because I, I, I expected them to receive me the way I received me. I failed at connecting with some of my Hispanic students because 
I felt that maybe that some of the things I said were culturally insensitive or, you know what I'm saying? As an educator, we have to be specific about our reflection and not really just, oh yeah, it was good. It was a good lesson. The kids learned. And how do you know the kids learned? They were engaged. How do you know they were engaged? I used to get mad when, when my administrators used to ask me those questions. Like, what do you mean? They were engaged. You saw them. Well, what, 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 what lets you know that they were engaged? You saw, no, 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 but what lets you know to, that you can make that statement? And that forced me to start really reflecting, well, were they engaged or were they putting on a show for me because they knew that I was teaching and they didn't want to hear me go off? Or they didn't want to hear, you know what I mean? Like, like what, what was it? What, what was it? And so I think that when you think about where we're going now with 2022, what do we take from 2020, 2021 into 2022? And what do we leave outside? Because we got to bring something with us, even if it's just a reminder. Mm. You know? You know, for, for me on this to that question of what I, I guess I would start to, I, I'm going to start with what I would leave behind because you and I, uh, talked about this the other day off off air but i've been feeling very like nervous and i've been feeling very anxious about sharing what we've been working on you know this project that we've been working on for now seven years and we're we really it's not even that it's so good but that we have something that we can share that we believe is of value like we have, you know, we talked about the situation we're in, and I think we're going to save that for a, another podcast down the road, but we know the situation we're in as teachers, and we know that we are capable of helping teachers navigate it and making that situation better. But I find myself in this spot where I'm afraid to do it. Like, I'm afraid to post things. I'm afraid to, you know, say things to put myself out there and being worried about how people receive what we put out there is the one thing that I want to leave behind in 2021. Mm. I, can, I, I can't, I can't be concerned with how people receive our podcast, our book, what we post on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, I, I can't be concerned in, in that regard when it comes to um, the work we do outside of my general classroom. Like, I, I just have to, um, you know, put it out there and let it be what it is. So you're letting go of people's opinions of your purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, letting go of that people's opinion um, and really just trying to share what we have. And I think a part of it, too, is... I, I, I would be naive to think that a part of it too is I'm a little nervous to step into this next part because I I know how I know how much it means to me. I know how much this stuff that we've been working on means to me. And I think there's a part of me that's afraid to see it fail. That if we put it out there and we do all the things that it flops, that I just would be like I would be crushed by it. But I know that's not the case. Like, even then, if let's, hold on, let's go. Even if we go there and it, and it flops, you write the book and no one reads it. Does that mean you never write another one? No. You see what I'm saying? Because again, if your motivation is to write the book, and that's it, then yeah, if it does, if it's not successful, then you flop. But the purpose in writing the book is not to write a book. We didn't get together and say, hey, buddy, we're going to be two authors. That's you and I. We're going to be two authors. We didn't get together to do that. We got together with the whole idea that we wanted to inspire our teaching craft. We wanted to inspire other educators <clears throat> to rise up above these situations that we face and find that love again for what we do. So putting something out to the world that the world doesn't receive, that's great. That's great. 
They don't receive it. Great. Guess what? I, I shared myself with the world. And when it's time to share something else, guess what I'll do? I'll share it again. And then when I share it again and again, then finally somebody's going to find the fifth installment and be like, man, these guys, these new guys, have you heard these new guys? And I'm like, these are not new guys. Did you read the first one? Did you see the second one that they released? Did you see the third one? And then all of a sudden you have to, because I know I've found authors and I'm like, whoa, man, this is deep. This is dope. And they're like, oh, you got to go read the very first book. And you go find the first book and you're like, and you've been saying this since 1998. No one's been listening. You know what I'm So again, it, it's yeah. not about failing. Because again, I have this, after listening, shout out to Gary V, 12 and a half. After listening to that book, guess what? We're going. And that's okay. You, you, you're going to put yourself out there and somebody's going to say, oh, he's lame. But that doesn't mean that you stop putting yourself out there. Because if what if your intentions in going out there is pure are pure and are authentic to who you are, so what? Yeah, and I and I think the word that I've come back to on this is like you can't be attached to the results. Mm. I think I'm letting go of wanting to be attached to the results. And to some degree, like you have to be willing a little bit to like uh, to detach from the results with kids. Like mm. I can strive to help my kids learn. I can strive to, to provide them the best education possible. But to some degree, I've got to let that go. And I think that's a bigger issue when it comes to teaching and education is we feel like if we just strive and strive and strive that eventually we can get kids there. But I think it takes away from the kids ability to be accountable and it takes away from their opportunity to be the one driving the learning. You know, for me, what I'm taking into 2022 are the two words from the book that started inspired education, inspire. I want to, I'm going to spend my, you know, spring semester breathing life into my kids the best way I can. And then I'm going to take the education educare in the in the latin and and pull out what's already in them we have this idea that it's our job like that our kids can't do it unless we give it to them and that's been misconstrued as kids can't do it unless we do it for them mm-hmm. i'm not about doing i'm not about that life for doing it for my kids cuz i don't think they learn when you do it for them that's that's where i'm at on that so where where do you what are you leaving behind in 2021 and what are you taking into 2022 um i think for me i'm leaving my doubts there's um and that's hard to talk about um because no one wants to to admit that they doubt themselves. Um, But I'm leaving my doubts. I'm leaving my doubts in um, in 2021. They're there. I'm not pulling them into 2022. Um, And I'm allowing myself the freedom to believe that anything and everything is possible. That there is no specific timeline, that there is no specific course of actions that has to be taken. There's not a, there's not a, you do this, then all of this is gonna manifest. It's a matter of believing doing and manifesting. And a lot of times I allow, I've allowed my doubts to, to keep me from even reaching out to people who've offered themselves to me. And when I say doubts, not doubting, not just doubting my ability, but doubting if this really is for me. 
doubting, mm. is this really where I want to be? Mm. Um, and it'll keep you locked into a, like in a perpetual state of, of purgatory almost, where you're just neither going left, right, up or down. You're just stuck. And everything around you is moving. So you have that sense that I'm moving, but you're not. And so for me, that that that's what stays behind. And that's what comes with me is this sense of all things are possible to them that believe. Getting back to my roots. You know, I was that person that woke up every morning with tiptoe expectations, waiting to see the next great thing that was going to happen. And the great things were happening. And then I got to the point to where I woke up and instead of being on tiptoes, I was just like, eh, if it happens, it happens. You know, and now, you know, when I was down with COVID, uh, the thing that kept resonating to me was like, man, you got to go back to your hustle stage. I remember I used to give people a hard time about grinding and hustling. Because I'm like, grinding is such a, that, that means something's rubbing against something. And that, that when you think of something grinding, you think of this dissonance. And when you think of hustling, you think of this swindler that's trying to do it. But I was like, no, it's not. Because the grinding, yes, it's something pushing against. It's you pushing against yourself. It's you, your actual pushing against your, your doubt. It's your destiny pushing against your doubt. And, and, and the more you try to grind it out, it's like you got to just get it to the point to where you start shaving stuff. And it's like, no, nah, who I want to become, who I am going to become is going to win regardless. Who I'm going to become is going to win regardless. Sharpening stone. Hmm. I can imagine, you know, if I were to rub this against my knuckle, it wouldn't feel good. Not at all. And, and that's coming back to the analogy we've been using so much. We talk a lot about in the book is that you don't sharpen a knife by adding to it. Right. You sharpen it by taking away. And, and I think getting back to, and, and if I'm coming back to, you know, what I know about 2022, you know, five years ago, when we talked about grinding and hustling, I made that choice to step out of the classroom. Because I had a different understanding of what that word meant. But I know now that grinding and hustling for me, in terms of what it looks like, it doesn't mean sacrificing every single thing to this. It doesn't mean giving up on my family time. It doesn't mean letting go of those other priorities I have. Because I think grind culture says you are going, you know, 24-7, 365 on this thing. For me, grinding and hustling is about being committed and doing the work in every single facet of my life. So when I'm working out, even for that 45 minutes, you know, four or five times a week, I'm grinding at it. I'm not, I'm not half-assing. Mm-hmm. When I'm with my wife, I'm not dinking around on my phone. I'm, I'm with my wife. When I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. And when I'm with the podcast or I'm with the book or I'm with video editing, I'm with those things. That's what it's about. For me, grinding and hustling is about being with whatever I'm with. If I'm with my high school friends playing golf, I'm with my high school friends. And and I think there's plenty of time to do all of the things that I want to do. If I'm willing to be dedicated to the thing that I'm doing at that particular time mm-hmm. and not letting the other parts jump in and not letting for me, for me, I should, I should just block YouTube on my phone and my computer and really only use it when I'm, you know, I can keep it on my school computer, but it's, it, it's just stuff like that. But it, it's not about block, you know, and this is what Brittany says when it comes to like sweets in our house. I shouldn't have to just not buy it. You should be able to be disciplined. You should be able to moderate yourself so you're not eating candy by the handful. 
you should be able to do that. And I think for me, that's what, that's what grinding is for me is being able to be focused on the thing that I should be focused on and be doing the thing that I should be doing. Being present with it. Being present with it. And that's, that's where, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Because anything that you do consistently, you're going to get better at. Consistency and discipline. So I'm going to say it again. Anything that you're doing consistently, you're going to get better at. So if you're doing nothing, you're getting great at doing nothing. You'll be, you'll be the best at doing nothing in the world. You know what I'm saying? So when you, when you think about it, 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 it boils down to what am I willing to, and we talked about this even the other day with self-accountability. What am I, what am I willing to hold myself accountable for, for 2022? You know, I remember the whole, oh, we got to make a set our resolutions and, you know, you got to set your new goals. But did you master your old goals? And if you had mastered your old goals, then that needs to be a reflection piece to say, okay, what was wrong with my old goals? Were they too lofty? Were they too soft? Or was I just not consistent enough? Or were they, were they, I mean, or were they not genuine to who I am and who I want to be? Was I pursuing the, ask myself, was I pursuing the wrong thing? You know, in those days when I was so, so dedicated to CrossFit, like, I was really disciplined and dedicated to it. It was your church. Yeah. It was religion to you. Yeah, man. And now I look back at it and I'm like, I sacrificed other in other parts of my life and in ways that, you know, this time down the road, I, I don't feel like I would. I let, I let things slide. I, missed things that I shouldn't have missed. I was around some people that I didn't need to be around, but I was so focused on that being my identity that it, it clouded my vision. And is there a part of me that I I mean, and that's not to say that I didn't love my time when I was really doing CrossFit consistently. And I didn't love a lot of the people that I was working out with, but it it just clouded that that was not the dream for me. That was not the dream that was, you know, given to me, the thing that I should be pursuing. You went in it to get yourself in shape. The culture tried to turn you into a CrossFitter to where you wanted to, was trying to force you to say, we're going to do the CrossFit games. We're going to do these. We're going to do these things. We're yeah, you got to mm-hmm. wear so, these shoes, take this supplement, do this, be here at this time, do these things. And it's, and it's like, no, all I want to do is get in shape. I appreciate the culture, but it shouldn't, it should just be me consistently competing with myself to make myself better. And the community should embrace that. Mm-hmm. And CrossFit, we both know, is one of those ones where it becomes religion to people. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I mean, I love doing yoga. That doesn't mean I want to go and be a yogi. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit here and invest time and money into going to become a yogi to be able to teach other people how to do yoga. It's something that I know that helps me with my flexibility, with my peace of mind, with my centering, with mm-hmm. my own, you know, uh, helping myself. But that doesn't mean that I have to go and be a, become a yogi in order to be successful at doing yoga. And I don't, yeah. And that's the thing is, is there a time where I might try to go back to a CrossFit gym? Maybe, but I think it's more likely that I continue to save money. And when we get our next place, if it has a space like I want it to have, I'll get everything I need and I can do that by myself, you know, and there's something to be said about having a community of people around you. Mm-hmm. But I think now I'm so much more particular 
and even just focusing on what we're doing, knowing the community of people we want to have around you, knowing the community of people that are driving you forward. And I feel like we built a community, we built an ecosystem to where we, you know, and this, and this comes back to the book and the podcast. We have, you know, two or three or four or five dozen friends that we could send a book to and they would post about it on Instagram and we could sell a few books. We could, we know that we can get the books out to people. And I don't know why we're worried about it, but it's just, I know in that community of people, whether it's Gary or it's Ray Hewitt or it's Eric or it's Casey Bethel or it's, I mean, you know, Chelsea and Matt Bokey or whoever it is, we got a crew of people that are like a real community around us. But mm-hmm. I think the thing that I'm also going to take in 2022 is that it's on me. Like self-accountability is where it's at. Like, and I think that's what comes by, you know, I was talking to you about this the other day is like the only reason the book won't get done is if I'm not disciplined enough to get it done. The only reason our Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or YouTube won't grow is if we don't do the work to make it grow. And even there's like 200 videos on our YouTube and we only have like 44 subscribers, 44 subscribers. Even just going back to like posting, you know, once a day posting one of our YouTube videos on Twitter and growing and doing those things. And that's where self-accountability, I think, comes in for me is because I, I truly feel like the only way we're not successful with this thing. And, and I liked what you said about not having a timeline. I mean, this is the work we're doing right now. I will be doing for another 30 plus years. But, you gotta be in it for the long game. Yeah, and that's and that's that that is the. I think that's the fastest downfall for anybody that's trying to grow a business or grow anything is that they want the fast, fast money, fast life. Not realizing that what it really takes is the universe wants to see if you're committed to to the long game. I remember and. I think this is maybe a, a good thing to to wrap this up because my wife told me breakfast is going to be done in like 10 minutes. Um, I remember when we first started and I would, you know, I was just ramped and I thought we were going to have that viral moment and that was going to be the thing that propelled us. And you said, no, you know, if, if we're going to sustain this thing, it's got to be built organically. And I'm so glad that I, you know, listened to you on that because one, you realize that viral things are viral for, you know, even just, you know, the seven years later, viral moments are so much shorter than they were seven years ago. Oh yeah. Cause there's so many viral moments. Everything can go viral. It trends and then it, then it goes out. Yeah. And then it goes away. But for us, I think the organic roots that we built are so deeply rooted now that when the growth happens, it, it'll be sustainable. Cause there's something else there. Yeah. There's something underneath that, that, um, it's built on. All right, man. Any last thoughts for this initial podcast for the 2022s? You know, I don't. I just want to I want to encourage teachers to to get out of your comfort zone. Not only with your students and in your classroom, but with yourself. Challenge yourself to do something. If it's something you've never done before, if you wanted to learn to paint, if you wanted to learn to play a guitar or the piano or anything of that nature, challenge yourself to do it because the magic of learning is enhanced when you are learning. And as educators, we cannot go into our classroom having not learned anything in five, six, seven, eight years new 
relevant to what we're doing are relevant to the process of learning and think that we're going to ignite the love for learning in our students. So go challenge yourself to learn a new language, to fit your budget, to create a budget, to create a vision goal, a vision board, to do something that's outside of your comfort zone so that you can understand what you're asking, you can understand and feel what you're asking your kids to do on a daily basis and see if that doesn't make a difference in your classroom. Happy New Year.